0: You're listening to the Ottawa Real Estate Podcast brought to you by Referral Mortgages and Blue Panda Realty with your hosts, Paul Stevenson, David Warren, and Greg Campbell. Let's see what's going on in the world of real estate in our nation's capital.
1: Yes. Hello. 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 It's the Ottawa Real Estate Podcast. Didn't know how long I was going to go there. Uh, My name is Paul Stevenson. I'm here with only David Warren today. We'll explain why shortly. David, how are you? I'm doing well, thanks.
0: I'm doing well. Happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving, sir. We're, uh, We're grinding on Thanksgiving Monday.
1: Yeah, I like that sweater. I didn't. I didn't actually see the logo until just now. But uh, oh, tough, right. tough they season. Out of the,
0: they might have not made the playoffs, but you still got a wrap. You know. Yeah.
1: yeah. Yeah. So my name is Paul Stevenson. I'm one of the owners of Referral Mortgages in Ottawa. Uh, I'm also a mortgage agent, and uh, David Warren is my business partner. He is uh, also an owner at Referral Mortgages and a mortgage agent. And uh, for our listeners, typically Greg Campbell is with us. He's a partner at Blue Panda Realty. And uh, an expert realtor, Greg. Um, well, let's put it this way: we had uh, we had a few comments last week, and we decided that uh, Greg's days were numbered at Torep. Uh <laughs> <we had laughs> he been talking. He's been talking too much. Those he's loose got- lips he's got—they're uh, sinking too many ships. <laughs> we, uh, we had someone uh, comment say that Greg doesn't stop talking. He ends almost every sentence with "but," "and," or "um." period. That was their whole comment. So we read that. And we just said, you know what, Greg, you're, uh, you're done, bud. you're done. Uh, no, but in all honesty, Greg, uh, Greg, we uh, Greg's uh, a little under the weather. So we're wishing him a speedy recovery, he'll be back next week. And um, it's just us. But uh, before we get into it, I just want to give a quick shout out to North Brew, Northbrew.ca. If you go to northbrew.ca, they are a great coffee sponsor, Uh, you can get 20% off of your coffee orders. That's two zero twenty. 20 Just use the promo code PODCAST and you'll get 20% off your coffee order. Not first, all coffee orders. <laughs> Speaking of coffee, I need it today. I don't know about you, David, but I've consumed enough turkey to uh, kill a small horse over the last couple of days. And I'm still going. I got a few more leftovers in the fridge and I'm not going to slow down.
0: I'm the beef head can pack on a couple oh,
1: of yeah. pounds of turkey. <laughs> it's turned to turkey man. The last couple of days. Turkey tacos, turkey sandwiches, just turkey, just eating it out of the bag. I guess it's funny. We used to do we Yes, it is a bag. Paul's an
0: endless pit. Paul's an endless pit of
1: eating. Oh, yeah. no, I love it. I love eating. We um um yeah, we usually we used to hand out Tupperware containers, but then our family grew to a uh, abnormal size um of humans so now there's too much like you'd have to basically invest in a tupperware you'd have to have a what do you call those like a tupperware party. You need to own tupperware you need to own the yeah. company the stevenson should be owning just yeah. tupperware stevensonware so we uh, yeah. we just we do it in big large freezer bags now so i just have a freezer bag of turkey in my fridge and it's fantastic <laughs> it's halloween for adults and that'll be gone from that's not lasting much past 6 p.m. today (laughs) no what did you get up to though what was your uh what was your weekend like
0: uh good went uh went up to the cottage Friday got up around 7 p.m. 6 7 um hadn't been up in about five weeks or so and kind of the uh so it was nice nice dry the colors were beautiful up there so Mm. was there uh there till yesterday had uh couple friends were up Saturday, did a little friend, small friends giving uh, up -hmm. there, which is great. Mm -hmm. kind of, uh, you know, everyone baking some pies, doing the, the, uh, the turkey, the whole nine. So it was Mm -hmm. a, a good time. Uh, and then, yeah, back yesterday, trying to do a little work today and, uh, but mostly try and catch up on a lot of stuff around the house that, you know, we've, we moved, we powered through a bunch of stuff and then, our dogs got sprayed by skunks, and that left our house in disarray as we're trying to air out pillows, mattresses, order steam cleaners, and uh, that whole.
1: So what's the new? What's nonsense. the newest? What's the newest remedy for skunks on dogs? Is it still tomato juice? Is that the? Uh...
0: No, it's like so. For washing them, we had we had them shaved, but it's like a peroxide don like this paste concoction, mm-hmm. um, which works pretty well. But but we weren't home when they did get sprayed. Um mm. they were being looked after by somebody else and uh and so our mattresses, our couches, our brand new couch, everything got uh rolled around with french fresh skunk spray. So we uh yeah had had to the dog shave we've been airing out the entire house the cushions ordered a carpet cleaner and to send duvets to get dry clean uh, just a disaster. It's been a week and a half and it's still not, uh, we're, we're still not out of the woods, but, uh, anyways, it's all good. It's there. That's
1: a good point. I'm just realizing as you say this, that we're October, uh, we're almost mid October winter's coming quickly. Um, I still need to insulate a few things and, uh, there's some stuff I need to do before the winter, which still feels like it's months away, but it's, you know, weeks at this point. So I'm going to make a few notes to myself here. Um,
0: and, and yeah, tell nope. your listeners to do your, uh, to do your, <laughs> to do your uh, uh, fall stuff before the winter comes,
1: Jeez. winter is coming. It came quick. <laughs> it came quick. Um, yeah. so I, uh, I wanted to roll into, we did get after last, uh, I think it was last episode. We, we did ask people to comment and, um, to reach out to us and, you know, if they have any questions or anything. So we, we actually got a fair response. There's a lot of people that, uh, that did have questions. Um, one guy, I do want to personally apologize to, uh, Paul. Paul was a listener who. Well, I'm, I'm sorry. I don't know if he was a listener. He was a commenter. We'll see if he's a listener after after this episode. He commented on YouTube asking about, uh, you know, I'm I'm not sure if now's the right time to buy. Should I buy now or wait or something along those lines? This was weeks ago, uh, and we didn't respond to it. I guess either there or or I'm sure we've talked about that on the show many times, but uh, we didn't talk about it. We didn't directly respond to his his comment. So uh, recently there was a uh, promotional ad running on, on Facebook, just kind of, um, you know, advertising the show to people that haven't heard of it before. So, you know, in different areas other than Ottawa and so on. And he commented saying, um, don't bother listening. They don't read any of the comments ever posted on their YouTube page, (laughs) which I found (laughs) hilarious because we obviously make a point to read every comment and uh, try to answer them as best we can. But um, I responded or well, you know, we responded, um, <laughs> we, I responded a little foot and mouth. Uh, I responded being like, well, you know, which, uh, which, which comment are you referencing? Because like, we, you know, we make a point to actively answer all these questions. And he posted a screenshot of his question from a few weeks ago with no response. So, um, after putting my foot in my mouth, I responded saying, you know, sorry about that. Uh, so, and he, but he did say, you know, the the, the only video that I posted or you know, the only comment on their YouTube page and, and they didn't respond to it, but I think the only comment on that, on that video. So he doesn't realize there's, you know, 70 plus videos on there. So I think he thought it was the only comment, but I do apologize, Paul. We very much appreciate your comments. Uh, And hopefully you actually listen to the show and know what we're talking about, but uh, it
0: it also made it even better that he was able to call you, call us out
1: immediately. It's pretty hilarious. Uh, Yeah. With, a, with with photo evidence I was like okay yes <laughs> I better respond
0: the uh, to address that comment though uh, the original one that we clearly didn't uh, answer directly of when is a good time to buy whether now market you know prices leveling out, et cetera something we've always said and continue to say don't you know over analyzing and you don't want an- analysis paralysis. The best time to buy was yesterday. The next best time to buy is today. Next best after that is tomorrow. Um, you know, markets do fluctuate. They've leveled off a little bit right now. Um, there's a little bit of, you know, there's extra supply on the market, More uh, more listings. You know, you're able to get some conditions, things like that now is a good time to buy. You're able to get conditions. You have options. You're able to negotiate prices. You're not going into multiple offers in, in all properties. Um, so you know why delay it you know, as well? If your plan and your goal is to, to own a property or get into home ownership, um, there's no sense in delaying for when the market does pick up. And then you know for those of you that are then thinking about buying when it's busy, then it'll be, well, I'm not going to buy now. It's too busy. I don't want to compete with other people. Uh, prices are going up. You know, things like that. So, you know, right now is in all of the last two, two and a half years, this is the best time to buy right now from Mm -hmm. what we've seen, uh, from even before, uh, the pandemic that this is a more balanced market right now. That's not to say it's going to be a balanced market in two weeks time, four weeks time. But right now, if you are thinking of looking at properties or getting into buying now is a good time to
1: shop. Yeah, I would agree. I would agree hundred um, percent. I wanted to actually quickly uh, put my foot in my mouth again. I'm, my, I'm just eating my toes today. Um, we were talking about that unreserved listing and I had a client member that had reached out. Uh, it was listed at 575 and she was asking, you know, what would I have to do to get, kind of get to that 600 mark? And I consider, I said that property we mentioned on the show last week, I said, this property is easily going to sell for over 900,000. Like that's just what the comparables are going for, 950, 980, somewhere in that range. And uh, I tuned in to the live auction, which was last Tuesday and or Wednesday, sometime or like midweek. And I tuned in and uh, with an hour left in the bidding, the home was still listed at 620. And I was like, oh my God, I'm like, I might have to refinance my house to try to get in on this bidding situation right now. Um, but then it, it, uh, it went up 650, 655, 675, 680, kept going, going, going. And what I didn't know. And, and Greg uh, told us this after the fact is that every time there's a bid in the last five minutes, it resets the clock for another five minutes. So it kept getting extended, 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 it ended up selling for 750, which is still very eye opening to me because, you know, if comparables are sitting in the mid nines, that's still well under what market value should dictate. So I don't know if that's you know, a sign of where the market is right now, or if that's just an anomaly, but it was very interesting to see that sort of, you know, in quotes deal, um, come out of that auction. I I think, you know,
0: I think we were, uh, I think we might've been at out for dinner, um, together this past week and talking about it, uh, Paul, but, um, Oh, I was just saying, yeah, you had your headset off. We're, uh, I think we're out for dinner this past week and talking about it. I think the, you know, for this one in particular and under other unreserved, if it is something that you're thinking about again, and I, and I do believe there's probably deals to be found on it right now. It's new. There's not a lot of people that are trying it or taking that leap. I don't know what their numbers are, but you know, they're guaranteeing sales They're It's not just their properties. They are listing others. Um, And, and, you know, we saw it with the market when it was uh, feverish is people shying away from multiple offers. If they knew a property was going to go in multiple offers, they shied away. They didn't want to put an offer in. They said, the heck with that. We're not, I'm not dealing with that. And I feel like this is potentially the same sort of thing where some of these buyers like, you know what? I don't want to get into that feverish buying or that pressure, Mm -hmm. you know, feel like I'm pressured. And so they're shying away. But those that are willing to go in, it's less eyes, you know, on... On that property, or people will not less necessarily less eyes, but less people willing to actually bid on it, mm-hmm. um, because they're also not sure of the process. The realtor maybe hasn't dealt with it before. Know the process, things like that, that maybe shies them away. And so I think in the next in the first few there might be like this one. Um, clearly, you know some some still good deals, especially as the market's kind of leveled out a bit.
1: Yeah, right? I was. In, I wish Greg was here to actually comment on that because I'm. I'd be interested to know because you know Greg was saying that there was a lot of. Agents that were not overly thrilled about the platform itself. And I just wonder if conversations are being had where realtors are actually dissuading their clients from bidding on these sorts of properties just to, mm-hmm. you know, to not support the platform. You know what I mean? So I'm not saying, I know Greg isn't doing that because we've talked to him about his clients actually discussing these with him. But I just wonder if that also is impacting the amount of people that are going in on these, or I'd be interested to know what the conversations at least in the kind of yeah. internal community of realtors is with these sorts of properties.
0: For sure. I mean, it's, I think it goes with any industry that anything new that's disruptive and whether this is long-standing or has legs to it, um, going forward and it is only in Ottawa right now. Um, I think that there will be people that, you know, are, there are realtors that are going to be afraid of it, not like it. And, you know, I've seen that by the comments on their, their posts, like, you know, within the Ottawa citizen and things like that uh, online, there's a ton of posts by very reputable uh, realtors that I've been very surprised at, you know, very argumentative about it. Um, But people are afraid of disruption, anything that's going to disrupt the industry that you're within and and how you operate, it becomes, you know, people get afraid of that, as opposed to looking, looking to how can I how can I utilize this, um, new technology or new way of things, doing things in this industry to better myself in this industry or leverage it and, and kind of stay on top of things as opposed to just, um, you know, trying to stop every, every little bit of technology or every little new bit of process, but, uh, but yeah, it'll be interesting to see how it spreads and, and what the inside, so we'll have to bring it up next week and we'll get, yeah. uh, we'll get Greg's take.
1: I don't, uh, I don't remember who, I don't want to steal the, uh, Thunder on this person's quote, but there is a quote that states that uh, all negativity is stemmed from fear. So I have a feeling that most of those realtors are probably just fearful of fearful of the unknown, fearful of the platform that uh, you know they're not too not too comfortable with yet. But with but we that have said,
0: that in our industry, we have that in our yeah. industry though, Paul. You know, we've as mortgage brokers, um, there's a lot of technology that keeps coming out that is increasingly. Uh, that has aspects to it, increasingly so of artificial intelligence. Um, So AI, analyzing an application, you know, kind of making recommendations or knowing what documents are going to be needed, things like that. And this progression of of this, and there are, you know, it's certainly more common in the US right now, there isn't, you know, there's one bank in particular in Canada that has uh, an app front end app for clients that has, you know, more AI built in, but there's a lot of mortgage agents and colleagues of ours that are afraid or, or, um, hesitant. or hesitant. There are, you know, they don't, you know, they kind of shy away or they're not willing to adopt or, or even take use any aspect of artificial intelligence or any of these softwares, because they're afraid that this is going to completely kill their business. Um, and I think it's something where you're know we not going to be able to stop these types of technologies and these innovative ideas, It's really just taking, you know, learning how that technology or that new way of doing things can help your business and adapting your business to it. And whether that be pivoting to a new niche or leverage, you know, I think that's something that, you know, has always been there from the day of time, whether it was on, uh, you know, from the industrialization or, or, you know, through the technology age, like we are in, but
1: just, uh, don't, don't be the blockbuster, you know, you gotta, uh, you can't take your heels in, you gotta, you yeah, gotta, yeah, you gotta yeah. go with the flow, you know, <laughs> <laughs> don't be the oh, blockbuster. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so I did want to read, I got an email actually, after one of our last shows from, uh, one of our listeners overseas, he's living in China, uh, and he had some questions regarding, well, I'll just read it and we can, we can touch on it because I thought it was really nice for him to reach out. So it says, greetings, Paul, a all, uh, maybe you can read and answer this during the next podcast. I listen to the podcast every week and have been since the start. Thank you, Chris, uh, for your fellowship. Uh, I was probably one of the original six you guys mentioned. Remember I was saying we only had six downloads last September. Mm-hmm. Uh, I currently live in China, but after 12 years, we'll be returning back to Ottawa area next year around June. We started looking for houses during our last visit in 2016, and almost purchased a home in Canada for just under 500,000. And now we're kicking ourselves in the ass for not committing. We were supposed to move back early last year, but the world fell apart, and then the housing prices skyrocketed. He said, "You don't by any chance have a time machine, do you? I don't, but talk to Mr. Campbell; he very well might." Uh, he's a bit more of a wizard than I am. Uh, we honestly don't know what to do. We don't know if we should try to buy while we're living abroad, which seems like way too much work. I'm a Canadian citizen, but my wife isn't. Or should we just wait until next summer to start shopping again? People have been telling me to simply rent a place for a year to readjust to the area and then look for something while renting. Watching these housing prices rise is excruciating. When is the bleeding going to stop? Keep up the good work of the podcast. P.S. I like the banter at the beginning. <laughs> well
0: appreciate uh, appreciate chris's uh listening from from china which we apparently this week we are actually ranking in china you know he's yeah. not the only one in china listening to us um the i think a couple of aspects and the biggest aspect to chris's question circles around down payment um and what what investments or savings you have or capital that you have in order to put into your down payment even though you're a canadian citizen because you are working and living abroad you are considered a non-resident um, which then the um, the minimum you could put down is 35 percent as a down payment on a purchase um, so regardless of your citizen as long as you're as soon as you're not considered a non-resident you're not filing taxes in canada um, the banks look for you to put a larger amount of down payment down so with that said, if you have the savings or the investment uh, capital to, you know, to satisfy that 35%, then it's certainly something you could look at doing now, purchasing while abroad, either rented out um, until you move back or what have you to take advantage of the natural appreciation market. Alternatively, if that's not the case, then you have to wait until you come back and you have employment here, um, working locally, and then being able to put as little as 5% down, um, that's, you know, really kind of, it really comes down to what your down payment and, and, you know, kind of really, I think the down payment is the biggest aspect in my, in my mind. I don't anything to add to that, Paul.
1: No, I mean, it's a very good point. I mean, there's a, there's a few, um, few pieces of information, like you mentioned that we kind of have to have in order to properly advise on options. But as far as timing, um, yeah, I mean, I think you said it. I think you hit the nail on the head there, Dave. I mean, there's if you, if they're able to come back prior to that, which is probably going to be very challenging. And I mean, China's not exactly uh, Toronto uh, as far as like proximity. So, you know, I would say, you know, it's it's worthwhile keeping an eye on the market. But uh, my opinion, if you're if you're coming back next June, you know, I would just probably continue to put further money aside to maybe bolster that down payment and then be a bit more aggressive next year when you come back. Cause it, I mean, even shopping abroad is very challenging if you can't actually physically go into the space yourself and you know, you're, you're relying on your real estate agent or whomever to, to tell you that it's a good investment opportunity. So personally, I think if you're buying a home, you got to be in there, you got to feel it. You got to, you know, see if it's actually what you want, because a lot of times things, you know, pictures can look really good and then you get in there and just the feeling of the space is not what you want to be living in or anything like that. So uh, all money aside, like just from a opt like a you know, if you're going to be living in this property, in my opinion, I think it's better to actually physically be in there. So if you're able to come back before next June, then I would say it's worthwhile, you know, throwing some numbers around, and even if you have to carry it remotely, you know, if you can come back before next summer, which is you know pretty close now, I guess we're only eight months away. I still feel like it's like August. <laughs> Mm -hmm. Um, but if you could come back and say, you know, December of this year, you find a property or some good opportunities and you, you pull the trigger on it. I mean, I think that wouldn't be a bad idea to just even carry it for that six months on your own abroad so that you can have something ready to kind of turn key when you come back. But otherwise, again, like to me, if you're buying a place to live in, you gotta, you gotta physically be in there and feel it and, you know, walk around the property and actually be, you know, present for that decision but that's me personally. I don't, that's not, I know some people can buy, you know, they'll buy in Arizona without, you know, sight unseen and don't care. So, uh, and it's different. I mean, this is a primary home. Obviously you're buying a cottage, you're buying a fishing shack or something, you know, it doesn't really take as much uh, as much due diligence, but I mean, if you're going to be living in this with your family, I feel like you probably want to, you probably want to take a step in the property first and um, that would require you obviously to be here. So. And I'm the other side of that coin. I'll fire from a distance. and I don't need to be in it. (laughs) <laughs> mm. True. That's what I mean. It's all it's all it's all relative. It's all relative. Yeah.
0: yeah. No, the I think so something for for those listeners that would be overseas, um, you know, aside from obviously, you know, seeing it and physically being able to, to be in it and see whether it's fits for your space, something that's overlooked by people or or that they're unaware of. Um, your residency status, your working status, um, comes into play with regards to down payment and who you're working with as well, or working for, um, and which country. So if you're working in the U S uh, it's, you can get away with lesser down payment than if you're working, um, in China, uh, or Europe or what have you, or Australia, things like that. Um, you know, so there's that aspect. If you're a non-resident, you're a Canadian citizen, non-resident, if or if you are in the process of moving abroad uh, to anywhere else, I would say, um, you know, certainly keep any of your credit cards, lines of credit active and open to help continue keeping your Canadian credit alive. Mm-hmm. Uh, otherwise, from a qualifying standpoint, what we do on the mortgage side is we'll look for alternative ways of qualifying your credit. So, um, you know, we'll look for an international credit bureau. We'll look for 12 months bank statements showing regular payments of to a credit card overseas or to a regular utility bill, things like that. Um, a letter from your local bank saying that you're in good standing, things like that. So there are different ways in which alternative credit when you're abroad is uh, is defined. But but certainly, you know, if you're in this case of Chris looking at maybe, maybe moving back and then shopping, um, something to keep in mind as well is that if you have employment and you're on probation, so typically a probationary period is three months. Uh, you'll also want to ensure that, you know, you're not just buying something right when you come back and setting a quick closing date, because you'll need to not be on probation for that position as well. So that's something to keep in mind, um, going forward too. So those, uh, if you are living abroad, you have questions, feel free to, uh, to fire us any emails or, you know, about your individual situation. We can always help you out too. Yeah, that's
1: great. Uh, great advice, David. Um, we have another comment here, uh, touching on the investing side of things, because I think you know we often, both on and offline, just in our in our industry, we get asked often about investment properties. You know, what, a lot of people now, especially with the lens that's been uh, kind of shone on the industry over the last couple of years, a lot of people are now thinking, "Well, I I I love my home." But if I sell this one, well, then I got to buy another one. So a lot of people are thinking, well, I want to keep my primary home, but I want to kind of invest in something else while the market continues to go up. So we had a, we had actually had a comment on uh, an episode a couple of weeks ago from uh, Wiggity Whack sixty nine that says, uh, "Let's get some discussions going around multifamily investing in Ottawa. Why is it lucrative? Interest rates, loan approval requirements, competition versus single family units, maybe a comparison." in the Toronto multifamily market, et cetera. So maybe we'll just start at the beginning, but um, I know Dave, you're, uh, you're, you know, we talk about this often as far as investment strategies and and multi-unit stuff. So maybe you can just uh, explain to people like the difference in qualifying for say, you know, four units and under, you know, five plus, et cetera, just for that, uh, mm-hmm. for that comment specifically. For sure. So um, multi-residential
0: um, properties, there's, Two different kind of classifications. You've got four units and under is considered on, it'll be financed to your traditional bank as a residential rental mortgage. Um, this is looking at the rental income that that property is generating to help offset some of those expenses. Uh, but when, when there's not enough rental income, that's when it's also being qualified based on that borrower's uh, income, their own liabilities, their own expenses, all of that. So that all comes into play when qualifying for a rental property up to four units. When you're five units and up, uh, this is when you're getting into true multi-residential uh, uh, divisions and and type of asset class. Uh, when you're five units and up, it's a different department. It's more actually a commercial department that you're qualifying and it's based on the property itself. So you could have a property that is six units, you could have it, you know, to be a million dollars is what the seller wants for it. And you can have a purchase agreement for a million dollars that's not necessarily what your down payment is going to be based on. Four units and under, it's 20% is the absolute minimum. Um, and whatever the purchase price is, it's based on 20% of that. On the five units and up, it's looking at, you can have, a, you can have the purchase price as a million, but maybe it's net income. So gross rents minus expenses gives you your net income. Um, isn't enough to service uh, a mortgage on it. As if you were financing it at a million dollars as a purchase price maybe that rental the the, what it can cover because they look at truly just the asset itself and what revenue it generates and what capacity it has to carry the expenses and liabilities of that property alone Um, the banks look for a minimum what's called debt coverage ratio or amount that that rent will cover to the debt. So typically it's 10% higher than what the expenses are. So, or, or what's considered a 1.1 DCR. Um, so they'll look at the rental income, they'll apply, you know, what that, uh, that net income can cover for that, uh, for that mortgage and, and those expenses. And sometimes that isn't going to be that million dollars. They might say, oh, well this, the rents it's generating can only carry a mortgage based on 700,000. Well, or that, you know, based on, you know, its numbers, it's valuing the property at 800 and you're more, now your down payments to be based on that 800, but you have a purchase agreement signed for a million. So it'll, you could put as little as 15% down when insured through CMHC on multi-residential, but it would be 15% of that 800,000. If you have a purchase agreement signed for a million, you're having to come up with that Delta, that difference between the 800 and the million. So it's looking at the asset first, um, And, and your personal debts, your personal rentals, um, primary home, all of that is really secondary. They really want to know and what they look at for qualifying is the property itself, uh, that multi-residential, what income it's generating, where it's located, what its expenses are, what its net operating income is. And that's how it's determining value. And that's how it's determining what loan is going to be um, lent on that property. So I, you know, for most, you know, yes, there is um, from a competition standpoint, there's more competition in that four units and under, because that's uh, more of a straightforward financing and kind of in your residential realm, residential rates for, you know, rental rates, things like that five units and up you're typically in the higher price point, a little more complicated from a financing and all and whatnot. There's still, ha- there's still strong competition in those in that market, but there mm-hmm. definitely isn't as much as in that four unit and under, but it's really just getting to understand um, you know, how properties are valued and how they're financed um, in order to kind of wrap your head around that five unit and up realm.
1: And I know people, the next question is going to be, well, what are, what are interest rates like David? If I'm putting 35% down, what, what would I be looking at if I bought a six the, unit? So on a,
0: so it really fluctuates. So fixed rates, um, so rates on multi-residential and rates in general on fixed rates are tied to a bond, Canadian mortgage bond or CM, CMB, it's a publicly traded bond, um, as bond prices rise, so do your fixed rates as they drop, your fixed rates drop as well. It's there, it's a spread tied to the to the bond. Um, commercial or multi-residential, five unit and up, the interest rate you get is going to change dependent on uh, whether it's insured. So if it's going through CMHC or not, just like on the residential side, but if it's insured or conventional, what size the loan amount is. So, the higher the loan amount, the less your rate is going to be. Um, it's also going to, you know, there's going to be other factors as well, you know, down payment amount, location. If you're more rural as opposed to the city, um, there's no real clear cut. It's not like a straightforward, you know, rates are 2.19. That's what you're getting on your multi res of, you know, 2.19. That's not how it is. Sometimes it, the rates are less because maybe that loan amount is 5 million, 10 million, 15 million um 100 million the rate the interest rate isn't is going to fluctuate and change based on different buckets of that loan amount um the lender is going through similar you know basically the same underwriting principles and the same amount of time to set up that deal on a 10 million versus a 1 million um so you know they'd rather take on those larger loan amounts for a single asset um they're you know low risk in the sense that you know, there's multiple units to offset if there's vacancies and things like that. Property managers, you know, professional property management companies are in place, all of that. And so they will, it'll be a lower rate at a higher loan amount as well. So there's a lot of factors that come into play on the four unit under it, you know, it's a straightforward rental, your regular rental rate. So, you know, I think right now, um, you know, you're in the, on a very five-year variable rate, you're in that one- 1.5, 1.55 kind of range right now on a five-year variable, but, uh, the multi-res, it's much different.
1: Yeah. It's, uh, it's interesting this past week that fixed rates have gone up again and variable rates have gone down again. So there's actually an even bigger spread now, almost over 1% for, uh, for fixtures variable, at least on the residential side of things. Um, a lot of people also don't know that like, you know, we as brokers, we handle, and I'm not saying all brokers do this because, you know, there's a lot of people that are kind of individual agents and have kind of a niche where they focus on just, you know, first time home buyers or what have you. But as brokers ourselves, we do everything from, you know, your first home to, you know, buying land and developing that land or, you know, building construction loans, commercial financing, you know. To, 30 units, 50 units, like we we can basically finance anything that's real estate related, even if it's a development plan, you know, we can have those discussions and we can, uh, we can help you facilitate that. So uh, don't hesitate, you know, to contact us if you have questions. One thing I wanted to touch on too, as far as investment for people that are starting out. So if you don't actually own a home currently, another good way to kind of build that, uh, that investment right into your purchase is to buy either, you know, a, a less than five units, but buying a, a duplex, a triplex, a fourplex, living in one of the units and renting out the other three because then you're you know you're kind of getting your your primary home yourself but then you also have that um you know residual kind of uh, income coming from the other units and also it's worth noting that if you buy a duplex if you buy a duplex and you live in one of the units you still only need to put a minimum down payment of 5%. so it's not like you need to come up with that 20 or 35% you can still put 5% down if you buy a triplex or fourplex it bumps up to 10%. But I mean, that's still, you know, if you're going to put down 10% and now you have three people paying basically, you know, once you have a fourplex, you can essentially have the rent covering the cost of the mortgage. So if you buy a fourplex, once you get that 10% in, you're almost mortgage free as far as your month of payment, because those other rental incomes, you know, if you're picking a thousand from each of your units on a, you know, $700,000 mortgage, that's that 3000 is essentially paying, you know, obviously there's expenses and so on, but as far as the mortgage payment, you know, you can essentially have those other units covering your, the cost of your, uh, your loans. So there's lots of good options like that too. So if you're new getting into the market and that's something that you're interested in, if you're interested in the kind of that investment side, you can kind of hit the ground running with, with that sort of strategy as well. And we can, you know, we can discuss and dive that dive deeper into that if you wanted to reach out and we can, uh, we can walk you through that process, but anything else Dave to touch on from the investing side, I know we could probably have an hour, hour and a half long episode on investing. So for the sake of our that's listeners, awesome. please,
0: no, for uh for the sake of time, I uh yeah, I think that's a good kind of short summary. Um, I think one one thing that you touched on, Paul, of of living in one of the units as well and and you know, buying a multi-unit. If you're a first-time home buyer, you don't own, like Paul said, and but you have the plans or want to own rental properties or investment properties, certainly as Paul said, getting a multi-unit where you can live in one unit, rent out the others, you're going to it's the power of leverage. Anything in in, in, in real estate investing is about, is about the power of leverage. It's not, you know, you're not working and saving up that 20% down, going and buying that one property, starting over again, saving that 20% down, buying mm-hmm. another property. Most, for investors, they're leveraging their existing portfolio. Um, so in this case, getting your first home where it's a multi-unit, or maybe it's a bungalow and you're adding a, a, a an SDU or a secondary dwelling unit in the basement and converting it into a duplex. You're increasing the value dramatically. You have, like Paul said, that additional rent to offset um, that property, but then you're refinancing pulling out that equity because you've bumped the value and now buying a rental, buying another property. Um, and that's kind of what most investors do is, you know, when starting out is, is getting into a property, getting a rental, um, you know, maybe they've saved up that 20%, you know, for the first time, but then getting a property, increasing rents, so turning over maybe the unit doing some updates, you know, maybe it's a, you know, property that needs some updating, updates, get higher rents, bump the value that way, Refinance, it, you know, get it reappraised, refinance, pull that equity out to then leverage to buy another property, rinse and repeat. Um, so you're really only saving that initial 20% down as opposed to 20% each, each property that you go through. And that's really what, most investors are doing anyone that you talk to that has multiple rental properties, it's, um, you know, 9.9 times out of 10, they haven't saved up the down payment from after tax dollars to then go and buy one rental, save up after tax dollars to then go buy another rentals. Um, mm-hmm. they're pulling the equity out, just tax-free, leveraging that equity, letting the market build that value for them. Um, but like you said, Paul, we could definitely have a, a 10 hour, a 10 hour, uh, Tour up special on just uh investing alone. But but maybe we'll break it out. And I know there'll be a lot of questions that come from uh the show to possibly uh elaborate on things. So please fire questions and and we'll kind of take those snippets and and you know, condense it down from 10 hours into multiple uh yeah. <laughs> multiple five minute bites.
1: But I wanted to touch on something you said there because it's it's oftentimes you have people that aren't in the industry that see, you know, people with, you know, let's say 10, 10 investment properties or something, and they assume that those people are just Drop like are just, you know, extremely wealthy. And I mean, obviously, you know, the plan is to be that in, well, in a few years, but these people are not buying these properties cash. You know what I mean? Like they're leveraging the investments they already have to take the equity to reinvest it into other properties. So, you know, you get a little bit of equity one property, you take that, you invest in another one, get a little equity there, you invest in another one. So it's, it's a gradual process. It's not something where people are just buying, you know, handing a million dollars cash to someone be like, I'm going to sit on this for, for 10 years. I mean, it's a, it's a strategy to invest in it and build the equity and then do it over again. Right. It's a, it's a rinse and repeat, not a, you know, one and done per se. So, Mm -hmm. um, all right. Should we sign in the mood boost, David? Let's do it. Let's do it. We're missing our uh, minute to win it, uh, listing here, unfortunately today, but it'll be back next week. Uh, so I got three today. First one, number one, Mm -hmm. what happens when the butcher laughs too hard, he collapses. Wow. He Cow. Cowlapses. Wow. Number wow. two. Number two. What did one campfire say to the other? Let's go out one of these days. Wow. Okay. And number three. I think you'll like this one. What foods are especially good for young people? The proteins. The proteins. Oh. All right. All Steve. right. Stephen, what are your thoughts on those? I'm like a. I'm going zero point five. One. I'm like a zero
0: point five out of three. I think on. Uh, I'm going
1: to. I'm going to add one. We actually had uh, one, of our, one of our <laughs> new agents actually sent us one by email yesterday um what sound very uh thanksgiving related what sound does a turkey's phone make wing wing right, so that one that one that one brings you
0: up to one and a half out of four All right, say
1: yeah
0: uh, yeah yeah very Already, uh, well,
1: timely. thank you everyone for uh putting up with david and i for the last i don't even know how long and uh, we just want to say thanks again to North Brew, our coffee sponsor, northbrew.ca. If you go to northbrew.ca and use the promo code podcast, they'll give you 20% off all of your coffee orders. And uh, to all our listeners, thank you, as always. Uh, we look forward to uh, your comments and your uh, suggestions on future episodes. Otherwise, we will be back next week. Make,
0: as always. Make sure you uh, Make sure you like, subscribe, share.
1: Now help, help get those numbers up. Yeah. We appreciate you all. We appreciate you all. Have a great week, everyone. We'll see you next time. A deuces.
0: The Ottawa Real Estate Podcast is brought to you by Referral Mortgages, Blue Panda Realty, and Stephen Hopkins Video. Thanks for tuning in. And please remember to like, comment, share, and most importantly, subscribe. We'd love to hear from you.